0: All right, in your pew Bibles, page 485 and following, we end chapter 2, and we have all of chapter 3, pages 485 and following, in the book of Esther. Chapter 2 and verse 19. Now when the virgins were gathered together the second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Esther had not made known her kindred or her people as Mordecai had commanded her, for Esther obeyed Mordecai just as when she was brought up by him. In those days, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Big Thumb and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And this came to the knowledge of Mordecai, And he told it to Queen Esther, and Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai when the affair was investigated and found to be so. The men were both hanged on the gallows, and it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. After these things, and this is really about five years later, it's about 474 years before the birth of Christ. After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the Agagot, the son of Hamadatha, and advanced him and set his throne above all the officials who were with him. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. Then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? And when he spoke to him day after day, and he would not listen to them, they told Haman in order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury, but he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, so as they had made known to him the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. Remember, we're going from basically what is modern India to modern Ethiopia. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast poor, that is, they cast lots, before Haman, day after day, and they cast it month after month, and that's not exactly the best way to translate it, but we'll come back to that, till the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. And then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, There's a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people, and they do not keep the king's laws, so that it is not to the king's profit to tolerate them. If it please the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business, that they may put it into the king's treasuries. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, The money is given to you, the people also, to do with them as it seems good to you. And then the king's scribes were summoned on the thirteenth day of the first month, and an edict according to all that Haman commanded was written to the king's satraps, and to the governors over all the provinces, and to the officials of all the peoples, to every province in its own script, and every people in its own language. It was written in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed with the king's signet ring. Letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with instruction to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all Jews, young and old, women and children, in one day, The 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. A copy of the document was to be issued as a decree in every province by proclamation to all the peoples to be ready for that day. The couriers went out hurriedly by order of the king, and the decree was issued in Susa, the citadel. And the king and Haman sat down to drink but the city of Susa was thrown into confusion. The grass withers and the flowers fade away, but the word of our God will stand forever, to which you say together, Hallelujah, and thanks be to God. Amen. Our God, what a wonderful, wonderful redeemer you have given us in the Lord Jesus Christ. In and that, in that one word, a redeemer of your own elect, We have unpacked in that song all, or at least most, of what is involved that Jesus is the one who delivers us from sin and death. And as we sing, our Lord, of no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. If ever in the scriptures, at least in the Old Testament, we see the powers of hell and the schemes of man arrayed against your people, it is here. But show us, our Lord, that you are sovereign and no one can pluck us out of your hand. Lift up the Redeemer in this message from Esther today. We pray in the magnificent name of our Redeemer Jesus, confirming that we desire to be heard as we say together, Amen. Amen. I hope that as we work through Esther, you are reveling in and resting in the sovereignty of God. I know for me it has been a tremendous blessing day in and day out to be meditating on this book that shows so beautifully God who is behind the scenes but is very rarely there, His sovereignty. But also in Esther and throughout the Bible, the wisdom of God. Wisdom is how God orders all things according to His time and His way to accomplish His purposes and to do it perfectly, to do it in ways where you just sit back and say, wow, what a wise God you are. J.I. Packer, in his classic book, Knowing God, in his chapter, God's Wisdom and Ours, has some reflections on God's wisdom as revealed in the book of Ecclesiastes. And Dr. Packer, the late Dr. Packer, writes, Rarely does this world look as if a beneficent, that is a good providence, were running it. Rarely does it appear that there is a rational power behind it all. Often and often what is worthless survives, while what is valuable perishes. Be realistic, says the writer of Ecclesiastes. Face these facts. See life as it is. You will have no true wisdom until you do. And along with teaching us about the sovereignty of God, we are learning about the wisdom of God in the book of Esther. Now, I want to remind you of some themes and some words that I want to come to your mind as you think about the book because they they come up in various ways. Number one, subflooring, the flooring that is under the floor. It's not what you see, but it's there and it holds you up. The subflooring in the book of Esther, the promises of God, both individually and corporately, individually to individuals in the Scriptures, corporately to the Jews as, as God's chosen people, and so the God's promise is there, subflooring. Number two, there's no incidents in the world. There's only coincidences in which God is in back of every single thing that happens, including even numbering the hairs of our head and uh, the birds that are in the air. No incidences, only co And number three, counterfeits. Fascinating to me, that this book, which was among the last of the Old Testament, Ezra and Nehemiah, were, were written would have been written later, but at least at least the last of the stories okay, that are given like this there's not only there 's not only a bringing together in a remarkable way of so many themes of the Old Testament, but like the book of revelation it 's full of counterfeits, the beast over against uh, but it's Jesus Christ himself, uh, the devil over against the work of the Holy Spirit, that kind of thing. Esther's loaded with counterfeits. Another one's going to come up today in here, but, but counterfeits that are here. And why is that? Satan is very active in this book. Uh, that'll come out today. And remember, Satan is a liar, and he is a deceiver, which means that he will have counterfeits in various areas. And so we've seen that in the book of Esther. Now today, what I want you to remember is the signet ring. The signet ring. The signet ring was the ring of supposed sovereignty that Ahasuerus had. When the signet ring was used to stamp a proclamation That was law of the Medes and the Persians. It was to stand, period, inviolable. And I want you to think about the signet ring that's mentioned here in this text. Okay, so with your Bibles open, and uh, you're looking at uh, page 485 in your pew Bibles, let's begin verse 19, end of chapter 2. One day in the king's gate. One day in the king's gate. Now, the virgins were gathered together, these who had had uh, had their evening with Ahasuerus, uh, including Esther and when they were gathered together the second time they we were in a separate harem From the early one, and Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Now, Mordecai was most likely a Persian official of some sort, and the king's gate, the gate is the place of government, which was right next to where uh, the king had his palace and so on. And so he was in his place of service. Again, gates are representing government. You hear the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The government, the governing power of hell, Will not prevail against the church. And so Haman is his place, or Mordecai is at his place of service. And now, Esther had not made known her kindred or his people. That's very important. She's still obeying Mordecai, who was a virtual father to her. And in those days, as Mordecai was going about his business, sitting in the king's gate, didn't mean he wasn't doing anything, but he was, he was part of his government there, Bigthon and Teresh. Two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold. Threshold was the threshold of the king's bedroom. Okay, They guarded him, and quite frankly, this would happen to Ahasuerus about 10 years later. Guards would come in and they would, they would kill him in his bed. But this is not that event. They planned, they're, they're angry with something. And so they seek to lay hands on King Ahasuerus, which they, which they could do pretty easily from where they were. However, this came to the knowledge of Mordecai. He told it to Queen Esther. Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai. And when the affair was investigated and found to be so, this is not like the justice in our culture today. It came very quickly. The men were both hanged on the gallows. They may have been impaled on a stake and then then hung on the gallows. And it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. Now, what's interesting here is that even as justice was very swift in those days, when justice is delayed, it never really has the impact on people. If someone is is executed for murder 30 years after they commit it, it basically is meaningless in our culture. Not so here. When people hear about this threat on the king's life, These two guys are publicly executed, and it was a statement that you should not try to do those things. But also, the king of Persia was always very quick to honor people who did special things for him, always. That again was the pattern. If you follow the king, you obey the king, you will be, if I could put it this way, blessed by the king. But Mordecai isn't. Mordecai is going to have to wait several years before he is to be honored. And that's, that's because God has something very special he's going to accomplish at that time. Now, brothers and sisters, um, God's, God's providences, as Dr. Packer points out, they very, very rarely work in the way we want and when we want them. Okay, that, that sometimes they'll line up. But you think about your own experience. It's not usually that way. okay? And and so we learn that from this text in here. You think of Joseph, okay? Joseph. Joseph was in prison for 13 years before the king had a dream, and Joseph had the ability to interpret that dream, and you can read about how blessing came. But after 13 years in imprisonment. Moses. Moses lived... 120 years, 40 years of those in Egypt, 40 years in the desert, and the last 40 years of his life when he was hardly at his strength, that's when he led the Israelites. So God was at work, but it took time. David was anointed as king, but he had to flee from Saul for 13 years of his life before Saul died and David took his rightful kingship. And and you see this over and over and over again in the Scriptures. And why is that? It's because our timing is usually wrong. But God's timing is always right. He's not only sovereign, but He's wise. And a little bit later you'll hear a wonderful quotation from one of the commentators on Esther about, about how God's providences are like Ezekiel's wheels. Okay, now We think of ourselves, and Lord, please do this for me. God has virtually infinite things that are connected with what you want done, and he incorporates all of those in his wisdom. At any rate, at this point, this is injustice, because Mordecai is not honored as he should have been. Now, the reason for that is God has some business That he needs to finish. Which brings us to chapter 3. It is five years later, after these things, about 474 years before the birth of Christ. And watch promotion, not who you think, tension, promotion and tension, and then a massive, massive. Overreach in this text. So here's the promotion in verse 1. After these things, five years later, King Ahasuerus promoted not Mordecai, the Jew, but Haman, the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, and advanced him and set his throne above all the officials who were with him, which means this man Haman was second in command to King Ahasuerus. Now, like, again, God's providences, it seems that good has been overlooked and that evil is being rewarded. And Psalm 73, the psalmist agonizes over this and says, I see the triumph of the wicked and I wonder if I've really cleansed my heart in vain. You'll say the same thing. Is it really worth it? Do I want to follow the Lord faithfully? Look, look at how the wicked prosper in the world. And this is what you see in this text. You see the promotion of a person who, well, take a real close look at the text. He is Haman the Agagite. Agagite. Now, if you want to look to the second book in your Bibles, your pew Bibles, Genesis, Exodus, You look in Exodus chapter 17, Israel has gone through the Red Sea, and uh, they are now in the wilderness, and you'd think they're free from God's enemies, the Egyptians, but they're not. There's a group that comes called Amalekites. At this time, the leader was Amalek, verse 8. And they fought with Israel at Rephidim. Now, this was the place where Joshua kept his hands up. He was assisted, and the sun stood still, and eventually they did defeat the Amalekites. But these are God's people. They've been delivered from the bondage of Egypt. And you have what is basically a satanic force that is after them. When God speaks to the serpent after the fall he says to the serpent, "You, there will be enmity between you and the seed of the woman. The woman doesn't have the seed. The man does. It's a reference to Christ. And what God says is whatever else you see in history, there's going to be warfare between Satan and the Lord's people who are in Christ either prophetically or now by basis of his coming in history. And so... Verse 14, the Lord says to Moses in Exodus 17, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Now, why does he say this? Remember, Old Testament pointing forward to things. One day, folks, there's going to be a judgment of all the enemies of God, okay? And God is giving a preview of that, and these people now led by Amalek. And so Moses builds an altar and calls the the name of it, the Lord is my banner, saying, a hand upon the throne of the Lord, the Lord, because he reigns, will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. These become the picture of the people who are the opponents of God in history. Now, we won't turn there, but you might want to just make a note of the text. You can read it yourself. 1 Samuel chapter 15. Saul now is king, and the Amalekites are once again rearing their ugly head, and they are opposing the Lord's people under the leadership of of a man named Agag. Agag. And Saul is commanded by God to wipe out not only Agag, but his followers, the Amalekites. And he doesn't. He only obeys partially, and he lets the king of Agag, he lets Agag, the king, live. God wanted at that point under his first king in Israel a picture of the judgment that would come upon the opponents of God's people and Saul blew it. And as a result, he was deposed from his kingship. In the earlier chapter, remember that Haman, or rather that Mordecai, is called a Benjamite. He's of the tribe of Saul. And so you have here what's almost a completion, a filling up again, of this war that God promises he's going to have to blot out the memory of the Amalekites. That is probably the explanation for the tension. If you go back to Esther now, chapter 3, that's probably the reason for this tension that you see in verses 2 through 4. All the king's servants, so, so Haman is elevated, and all the king's servants were at the king's gate, and remember, Mordecai is one of them, bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. And many believe that Haman, Haman was not a good guy, incidentally. And the reason the king had to make that command, a lot of people didn't like this guy. Right? We don't know speculation, but it makes sense. Um. For the king had so commanded concerning him, but Mordecai, who is the descendant of Saul, did not bow down or pay homage to this Agagite, the descendant of Agag. And then the king's servants who were at the king's gate, they're they're concerned by this. They said to Mordecai, his, his co-workers here, why do you transgress the king's command? And he doesn't really answer when they spoke to him day after day, they said he would not listen to them. And they told Haman in order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand. The only thing he told them is what? He was a Jew. That's all he told them. Now, there's all kinds of speculation about why Mordecai didn't bow. Some said, well, you know, Jews were not to bow down to mere mortals. You're not to have any other gods before you. But there's other places in the Scriptures where Jews bow down to leaders. You have a, a leader, even if you don't like him, and you respect him. You stand up in his presence when he comes. So that that was kind of common, so that doesn't really make much sense. Others said, well, he was, he was jealous. That he was jealous because this guy Haman had been elevated and Mordecai wasn't, and he was a- angry with the injustice. That may be true, but that's not what the text says. The text says, at that point that one who wanted Esther not to disclose what she was, and probably he had not disclosed what he was, he does tell them a Jew. Why does he say that? Because he's continuing this battle with the Agagites. He is not going to bow down to the one that the Lord had said is to be the embodiment of those who oppose me and who will be destroyed by me. Now, people will say, well, isn't that kind of inconsistent with Mordecai? I mean, come on. (laughs) He tells Esther to disguise herself, don't tell people she's a Jew, and let her have a tryst with the king, and, and he doesn't tell people he's a Jew. Isn't he inconsistent? We all are, folks. You know, he, you know, Mordecai strained at gnats and swallowed a camel because he wouldn't bow down, even though it was okay to do it, to, to Mordecai, uh, to Haman. But folks, we all have inconsistencies. And whatever else Esther's teaching us, it's get real, folks. That doesn't mean we condone our inconsistencies, but we are. And God is in back of all of these things. So there's the tension, but God's at work. And notice the massive overreach. And I want you to picture this. Haman. Haman is loving the adulation of the crowds. And he doesn't see this Jew that's off someplace who doesn't bow down to him. He's just soaking all this stuff in. But now he's told the tattletales. um, There's this guy named Mordecai, and he doesn't bow down to you. And Haman now sees Mordecai and sees that he doesn't bow down or pay homage to him. And Haman is filled with fury. You got to imagine what this guy. How'd you like to be married to this guy, you know? huh? <laughs> he was filled with fury, for he disdained to lay, but he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. That's not enough. He is so angry with this guy. It's not enough to take this guy to task. Talk about overreach. He disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, so they had made known to him the people of Mordecai. Because of that, he sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, from all the way to India, all the way up to the southern part of what we would know of as the Middle East, all the way to Ethiopia. You're talking about hundreds of thousands of people, including the Israelites who had gone back into the land, all of them were to be destroyed. You talk about massive, unreasonable, crazy overreaction, and that's Haman. And we'll do the same thing. Let the speculation come out. I think it's been pretty well confirmed that the COVID-19 virus came from a lab in China. And people hate every single Asian. Dear Chinese friends of ours who run a restaurant, they had to close their restaurant because of threats that came upon them because they were Chinese. Or will do it because people are black. And you see once again in Esther, now God's behind all of these things. He's sovereign over it. But you see the reality of a fallen world, and this guy is furious. Now let me give you a picture of of what this is like. I want you to imagine that, we'll use an Italian, because we've got a lot of Italians here, okay? An Italian is in in a group in which the president is in a limousine and is coming down the street, and that Italian has a sign and it says, President Biden, I hate your policies. And President Biden hears that this Italian had that sign, and he becomes furious and says, we are going to wipe out every single Italian, everywhere, poison them, make sure they all die, the same way there was the way the Iranian girls were treated in the schools because in one way or another they were associated with the protest of that regime. That's what this is like, folks. This is exactly the kind of thing that Haman wants done. Massive, massive overreach. But God, God is at work here, folks. Now let me give, let me give a contemporary illustration. I hope you are following what's going on between, not in every area, but I think a lot more than we want to think, areas in which parents go to school board meetings and they are upset with the abject wickedness that is going on in the classroom. And it's a legitimate upset. In my opinion, I don't know, just take their kids out of the public school, but that's another day. What's being said now? Because some parents, and they're not all Christians. But at least some Christian parents have done that. Christians, they're an enemy of inclusivism. They hate trans people. They hate people with gender identity issues. And because of that, they really are enemies of the state. We're not there yet, but we're getting there very closely. But see, that's, that's the kind of thing... That's going on here with Haman. Of course, you see some of the latent anti Semitism that was also there as well. Although there's a little hint later that not all shared that. So after these promotion, the tension and the massive overreaction, now the Holocaust. And you can't you can't see why Hitler hated this book? Listen to verses seven through fifteen. And if you don't you know what Holocaust means? Holocaust literally means it means a whole holo all. Cost is a burnt offering. The holocaust means a burnt offering of someone or of a people. Okay? So here's the die. Verse seven's an interesting one. And uh, the the ESV doesn't, it's it's very difficult to translate. Partially, we don't really know exactly how this casting of dyes worked. But in the first month, which is the month of Nisan in the 12th year of King Ahasuerus, and again, we're talking about roughly 474 years before the birth of Christ, they cast poor, that is, they cast lots before Haman day after day, and, and here's where the ESV doesn't help it. And cast it month after month till the 12th month, which is the month of Adar. That, that's, that's not really what's in view. The, 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 the poor were dice, okay? And, and we don't know exactly how this was done, but you would throw the dice, and apparently this was done for a month. I think that's rather than, or month after month, otherwise the text would make no sense. But, but for a month, in order to determine a particular day and month, which ended up being the 12th month of the year, they cast these dies. And there was some way of trying to calculate from the way the dies from day to day turned out that you would know what day a certain event was to occur. The point for you to keep, keep counterfeits in mind, this is looking to the God of chance rather than the Lord God who says the lot is cast into the lap and its every decision is from the Lord. But however this is done, there's the determination that comes, I would assume, after about a month of this kind of stuff, that in the 12th month of the year, 11 months from then, a holocaust was to take place in Persia. God's in back of this. Because an awful lot has got to happen before this is going to come about. All right. So, so the lot is cast into the lap. Its every decision is from the law, the Lord. And now, watch how Agag is at work again in verses eight and nine. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, "There is a certain people. Notice he doesn't say Jews." There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all the providences of their king of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of other people, and they do not keep the king's laws. This is massive. This is how does he prove this? There's no evidence. You talk about a sweeping generalization. In fact, interestingly. Jeremiah the prophet had told the Israelites in exile, including those who were here, you seek the welfare of the city in which you are put. So this, this is basically, it's a lie that he says. And they do not keep the king's laws so that it is not to the king's prophet to tolerate them. God's sovereign over this. Not to the king's prophet to tolerate the man who saved his life, Mordecai. Not to the king's prophet to preserve the life of your own wife. Haman doesn't know what he is doing when he says this, but God knows everything that he is doing here. Now, notice that there's more of what I call the anti-king here in Ahasuerus. He's also a counterfeit. He's a counterfeit sovereign. We'll call him an anti-king in verses 10 and 11. So the king took his signet ring, that represented all his earthly authority. All authority in Persia is given to me, and it's represented in the signet ring. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha. notice how the Holy Spirit adds this, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, the money is given to you, the people also to do with them as it seems good to you. In other words, whatever it takes, then you do what's necessary with the law of the Medes and the Persians. Notice the anti-king. Number one, he's utterly careless. He doesn't really care about this. He doesn't investigate it, doesn't find out if it's true, even though it affects any number of people for whom he is responsible as a leader. Number two, notice what Haman adds. If it please the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed, holocaust, and I'll pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business so that they may put it into the king's treasuries. That is two-thirds of the annual income that Ahasuerus got from the provinces. But remember, he lost a lot of money because of the defeat by the Greeks a few years before. He's hurting financially. And people say, well, how's Haman going to come up with this? I don't think he had this amount of money. It's a lot. But probably the idea was, we'll plunder the Jews, well, apparently had a lot, and we'll give you all these, these ten the 10,000 talents of silver. So not only was Ahasuerus careless, he was money hungry. And neither of those is the way someone is to lead, even though that's the way of most politics. Mm -hmm. Come on, give me a break. You've got a 4,000-page budget bill that's presented to people, and they're expected to vote on it within 24 hours. You really believe they read that stuff baloney? Mm -hmm. Utter carelessness. And the big issue, don't ever forget it, the big issue is money or power in politics divorced from the fear of God, if I could put it this way, in counterfeit, the counterfeit of righteous politics. But you see it here so evidently, you saw it with the quote-unquote wise men and their worldly wisdom that was there. But God is at work. God is at work. Because notice the colossal mistake that's made. Very end of verse 11, the king says i'll give you money to do this whatever people you need to do it, it didn't take a lot because all the people would be entrusted with the authority to kill the jews and do with them as it seems good to you that is a colossal mistake because these people, the Jews, corporately, were God's people. And I still believe today, that's how you define Jews as a different I still believe God still has promises to Jews as Jews. Not all Reformed people do, but that's for another day. The point is now, God says, this goes too far. They're not your people their mind. And I find it fascinating. This will come up again. Zechariah was one of the minor prophets. Not minor because he was lesser in quality, but, but shorter books than, say, Isaiah or Daniel or Jeremiah. But Zechariah was one of the prophets that was a writer after the exile. And you can make the case that Zechariah wrote his prophecy just about the same time Esther is going on and he is the one who records in Zechariah, the Lord says, these people are the apple of my eye. Don't you touch them. Colossal, God's sovereign over it. And so you see, we get upset. I do. Over stupidity and overreach and so many things. that need to be concerned to be sure. But God is sovereign over all of these things. Now, notice the decree and its irony in verses 12 through 15. The irony, the, scribe, the king's scribes were summoned on the 13th day of the first month. Now, why, why is that ironic? The 13th day of the first month happened to be the evening of the Passover, The Passover was when the Israelites were delivered from the bondage of Egypt. They were constituted as his people. And woe unto you, if you like, the Amalekites or Agag were to oppose them. But in God's providence, God's behind all of these things, it is the eve of the Passover. And you want a preview of Hitler's final solution? Here it is, folks. On the thirteenth day of the first month, an edict, a decree, according to all that Haman commanded, was written to the king's satraps and to the governors over all the provinces, or 127 of them, and to the officials of all the peoples to every province, that is, again, all the way from India to Ethiopia, in its own script, and every people in its own language, it was written in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed with the king's signet ring. All the authority of the king is in back of the final solution. Letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with instruction to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all Jews, young and old, women and children. In one day, it's 11 months later, the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and here's where the money supposedly would come from to plunder their goods. A copy of the document is issued as a decree in every province by proclamation to all the peoples to be ready for that day. Notice counterfeit again. Not good news, folks, but bad news. And King Ahasuerus did have a very sophisticated, we call it a pony express, by way by way by which mail got out to all of these places. The couriers went out hurriedly by order of the king and the decree was issued in Susa the capital and so there, there is the final solution to what is the, or at least the beginning of the first example of it and what an ugly contrast how do the king and his second in command celebrate they sit down and have a good drink together and my guess is they had more than one let's just let's just let's just live it up it's great it is this wonderful this decree to wipe out all all of these people, the Jews, and, and they're gonna have a good laugh. And they're gonna these are the anti leaders, folks. But this Susa was thrown into confusion because apparently the Jews had some favor with them. There was anti-Semitism in some quarters. But people are upset. Of course, it could be simply, well, oh, if they're going to wipe out the Jews, they could wipe out us next, right? It could be that. But probably it's why do you treat these people who set examples of seeking the welfare of the city in which they're put? Why do you go after them? The decree and its irony with the ugly contrast. What is this picture, folks? Esther brings together all the themes of the Old Testament, at least many of the main themes, I should say, brings together. Genesis 3.15, I'm going to put warfare between the seed of the woman, which is ultimately Christ, but all of his people in him, and the seed of the serpent. Enmity is war, folks. There will be war of one type or another between the Lord and his people in every age in history. And this text is very clearly showing the devil's work against God's people as you have the modern embodiment of Amalek and Agag in the person of this brute named Haman, Haman. But I want you to think for just a minute. Satan is in back of this. You got to follow me with all of this. Let's say Satan were to appear before the anti ahasuerus God Himself. Satan were to appear before the real, the real sovereign with the real signet ring of power, and it is quite frankly, is blood curdling. To think of Satan going before the Father, and it it's very interesting that Zechariah, who may have written about that time, refers to an incident, it's obscure, where Satan comes to the very right hand of God and accuses God's people. He's an accuser of the brethren. Imagine, imagine if Satan should say to the Father, of those whom he has chosen from the foundation of the world, but they're not redeemed yet. Verse 8, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. You've got your chosen ones? Yeah, okay, here they are. They're throughout the world, we would say. Their laws are different from those of every other people, and they do not keep the king's laws. Folks, that's us by nature. We make our own ways, and we don't keep God's laws. And Satan says further, it's not to the king's prophet to tolerate them. God, why do you put up with the way they rebel against you going their own ways. In fact, the devil who is a destroyer would love to add, decree it, God, that they be destroyed. That's one place where Satan doesn't need to lie. Because if he's saying that, Of us, in our unregenerate state, wow, is he speaking the truth. Mm -hmm. They go their own ways. They make up their own laws. How do you even tolerate them? The wages of sin is death. Well, You see the way the anti-God, the counterfeit Ahasuerus responds. But here is God's great, if I could put it this way, God's great moral dilemma. And I want you to grasp this. See, we throw the word gospel around you know, almost like the word water. and We don't think about it. You realize the moral dilemma God faces? Satan accuses us in our natural state before God. And he is absolutely right and if God just overlooks that he's unjust if God listens to that we're toast and I really really want that to sink in to all of you that's God's moral dilemma when it comes to a fallen people This, though, before that greatest moral dilemma is the greatest story, the most wonderful story in all the universe. God says to Satan, you're absolutely right. I'm just. And if this is all we're facing with those that I've chosen from the foundation of the world, either I've got to be unjust and overlook what they've done, and I can't do that because I'm just, are they're done. Hasuerus signet ring to destroy them. It's as if God says to Satan, "I want you to realize you don't have the signet ring. I do. I'm God, and out of my love for those people, I'm going to give my only begotten son and in this thing called the covenant of grace the son agrees to this he agrees to do what to have the holocaust to become the holocaust to become the burnt offering in which destruction and annihilation and death all the elements of burnt offering are done in him that's folks that's the gospel Jesus does that. And the devil thinks he won. The devil, who has myopia, really thinks that because Christ, the God the Son, dies the death of a criminal, God's washed up. He doesn't reckon on Easter when Jesus is raised from the dead to be what? Look in Romans chapter 3. As you go to your, your New Testament, I can tell you the page number in it and because it so beautifully, beautifully explains Romans chapter 3, and verses 21 to 26, which is page 1118 in your pew Bibles. 1118. All the stuff that Satan accuses us of is given in verses 9 through 20. Ah, the devil can bring before God. Remember, not one is righteous, not even one. They don't understand. They don't seek for you. They've turned aside. Their throats an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of poisonous snakes is under their lips. Their mouth full of curses and bitterness. Their feet swift to shed blood. Their paths are ruin and misery. The way of peace they've not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. They do their own thing, God. They follow their own laws, God. Why do you even tolerate them, God? And oh, even if they try to make themselves right by the law... All the law does is it says they are held accountable before God for by the works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. God, your moral dilemma with these people whom you have chosen from the foundation of the world. And here's the response of the God who's got the signet ring. You forget, devil, the righteousness of God His doing everything exactly right in His sovereignty and His wisdom has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, including, incidentally, Esther. The righteousness of God, the perfection that God demands in satisfying His justice, providing perfect obedience, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. No distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Yes, you're right in that, but they're justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward. Remember, I have the signet ring as a burnt offering, a propitiation, a taking of the full wrath of God by His blood to be received by faith. This devil shows my righteousness. Because in my divine forbearance, yes, I did pass by former sins. I did tolerate them. But it was to show at the right time my righteousness. So that, devil, I might be absolutely just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus, which means what? Devil, you try to accuse one of those for whom my son died. And remember, it's unjust to believe in double indemnity. Jesus paid the price for my people. See again, the counterfeit in Esther and the glory in the reality of the gospel of God's grace. Magnificent the way that comes. Now, let me, let me bring all of this together. Incidentally, I've got to read this. this is, I don't want to miss this. God's God's providence, folks. One of the the writers, some excellent female writers on the book of Esther. One of them says this. What God pronounces is certain to happen, but it requires faith to believe that he is in the process of accomplishing his will and that it will be good. Nothing is impossible with God. But God is not pressured by our fears or circumstances, but works in his time and way, God simultaneously works on different fronts, some visible and others invisible. That's what you're seeing in here. Fascinating. All right, let me draw this together with a couple of lines of application. You realize that God gives you a signet ring? it's it's a ring of supposed authority over your own life it's called the will it's called human responsibility and you you can choose to use that authority the way you want it's my body It's my choice. You use the signet ring that's given to you, your own responsibility for your own life, your will. You use it to run away from God. And Haman's fate will be yours. And I assure you, it's not good. Because on whatever level people try to be the enemies of God and his people they lose big time big time so that's one line of application the other the other is this can you relate to the anxiety of the jews i said i don't want to lose that at this point the anxiety of the jews that war against god's people continues today if you're in nigeria you could probably hear some of the guns of it. If you're in North Korea, you walk in the fear of it every single moment. If you're in Iran, you risk being beheaded if you follow Jesus. Can you relate to the anxiety of the Jews? I want you to remember him. This is my father's world. And let me ne'er forget, though the wrong may seem awfully strong, there is a ruler yet. And that's what Esther's about, folks, in a nutshell. Well, that's true. But, and the ruler is, in fact, behind the decree that's given here. But what do you do with this? Haman (laughs) Do you realize, and he didn't, your decree means putting to death the woman the king sleeps with every night? His wife, the queen, do you realize that? Esther now really takes a pivotal role in all of this. And what has been veiled is going to have to become unveiled. How's it going to work out? We'll learn about it beginning next week. This is my Father's world. The battle is not done. But that battle will continue because the battle is not done, but Christ who died, he'll be satisfied. And earth and heaven will be won. Oh Lord, Amen. haste the day! Let's pray, our Lord. What a marvellous book Esther is! We just his book has the inspiration of God written all over it you can't You can't read a verse of it without seeing the wonder of God, sovereign and all-wise in back of everything, working out all of his purposes as we're going to sing in just a little bit. and so our Lord, we pray that we would, on the one hand. Be very realistic that this battle continues to this day, the seed of the Satan himself battling with the seed of the woman, Christ and his people, ultimately Christ. But may we see, our Lord, that though the wrong may seem awfully strong, you are the ruler yet. Through Jesus Christ our King. Amen. Amen. Amen.